0: Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. You know it's important for us to understand that everything in time and space had a beginning. I had a beginning. You had a beginning. The houses that we live in had a beginning. This church building that we're gathered in today had a beginning. The clothes that we are wearing had a beginning. The washing machines that we cleanse our and clean our clothes with had a beginning. The car that we drove here today with or rode in today here had a beginning. There was a time when our homes, our church building, our clothes, our cars, our washing machines, even ourselves did not exist. Nothing could be more obvious than that. And since we're surrounded by things and people who all had a beginning, we are tempted to jump to the conclusion that everything had a beginning. Such a belief, though, is a leap into the abyss of absurdity. And it is lethal to religion, to science, and to reason. Remember I said at the beginning of today's sermon that everything in time and space had a beginning? This is not the same as saying that everything had a beginning. Logically and scientifically, it would be impossible to declare that everything had a beginning. How can I say that? Well, if everything that exists once had a beginning, then there had to be a time when what? Nothing existed. Do you see the problem there? Okay? Think about this for a moment. I know this is philosophy here and we're stretching our noodles a little bit today, but let that sink in. Try to imagine nothing existing. We cannot conceive of absolute nothingness. The very concept itself is a negation of something. And if there even existed a time when absolutely nothing existed, what would be here, what would be there, what would be here now? If ever there was nothing, there would always be nothing, and there would be nothing now. The simple answer to all of this is you cannot get something out of nothing. One of the absolute laws of science and reason is recorded in Latin. It's ex nihilo, nihil fit. Out of nothing nothing comes nothing cannot produce anything nothing can't laugh it cannot cry it cannot work it cannot dance it cannot sing it cannot breathe and here's the big one nothing cannot create nothing cannot do anything because it doesn't exist it has no power whatsoever because it has no being now if something already is it doesn't need to be created It already is. And in order for self-creation to happen, something would have to be and not be. It would have to exist and not exist all at the same time. And this is a contradiction which violates the laws of reason and science with the most fundamental one of them being the law of non-contradiction. See, in both philosophy and theology, there is this concept of the transcendence of God That God is above and beyond the universe on a higher order than all other beings. And this is why God is commonly referred to as the supreme being. God is different in kind from all other beings. He is supreme, meaning he has no beginning. And all other beings owe their existence to God. God is the eternal creator. Now, we in our study need to return to the fundamental texts for this discussion. One of them we've covered many times here in the last year. It's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And we just did this in our Advent series even, just last month. Now, in the beginning, it says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. The beginning there is of creation, not, not God's beginning. The beginning is creation and everything that we understand and know to be. Well, in Colossians chapter one, chapter one verses fifteen and seventeen is another text we need to look at, and it says that the sun is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him, that means first in rank and order above all that. And for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. God, you see, in his very nature, is self-existent. God is unchanging and eternal. God always was, always is, and always will be. And this makes God the supreme being. He's above all else. And everything in creation has been created by God and is dependent upon God for its very existence. This is why the apostle Paul wrote what he did in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. See, what is abundantly clear from everything there is, creation itself, and from the teaching of the Bible, is that if something exists, there must be a supreme being from, from which everything comes. You know, if atheists wanna tell you there's this bubbling sea of nitrates and life came out of that, well, where did that come from? See, something had to cause the bubbling sea of nitrates. Yeah, so all this, there, something can't come out of nothing. But God has always been here, and God is the supreme being that everything comes from, and he's the one who sets it all into motion. God is the one who maintains it, and that he's the supreme being that's above all other beings. And right out of the gate, the Bible tells us this first and foremost, very first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.1. in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it, everything that exists out there that didn't exist before, God did that in the very order, and the very beginning. So when we speak about God's works, we must begin with creation itself his first work, and to understand this, we need to recognize God's nature as the supreme being. All the other works of God flow out of this, and when we're talking about the works of God, we're talking about, yes, creation, but we're talking about God's will, and we're talking about God's miracles, and we're talking about the providence of God. Now for the remaining time we have together today, we don't have uh, enough time to venture into talking about God's will. Or we don't have enough time to venture into talking all about miracles. So we're gonna focus today on the third work that I listed for you, Providence. And yes, uh, in in the state of Rhode Island, there's actually a city that's named Providence. And do you think for a moment, in the woke culture that we live in right now, that there would be any place in this country that would name itself a city or a, or a, or a village or town that would name itself Providence pretty unlikely in fact some would probably want to take the name away in this world we live in right now but providence happens to be the capital city of Rhode Island and it was founded in 1636 by a reformed baptist theologian named Roger Williams who actually was fleeing there because of persecution because of their uh, Calvinist beliefs that didn't line up with what other people thought or the state thought or other things like that in the country that he came from and it was named such providence because Williams wanted to honor God for God's merciful providence which he believed was responsible for revealing such a haven for him and his followers to reside Now, if you think there's a disconnect from our current culture and the early years of our nation and its founding and the naming of its cities and its towns, consider this. There's actually two universities in this country, that are named uh, Providence. One is on the East Coast, one is on uh, out West, one is more well-known than the other one is, but nonetheless, they're institutions of higher learning that have named themselves after God's care and provision for his people and all that God has created. And the point I'm referring to here today is that historically, people were more attuned to God's providence in their lives in the early years and and centuries of our nation than we tend to be in our modern world right now. Yes, they named things in God's honor to mark that his provision and care in their lives was obvious. They referenced often in their writings, and their literature and work, the providence of God. And the word itself means to see in advance. Or beforehand, to provide for, providence, to provide for. And this means that God is far more than a spectator of human events. He is directly involved. Listen to what some early Bible scholars said in the 17th century in our nation. When we were just colonies, we weren't even an American nation yet, it is officially known as the Westminster Confession of Faith. And this is just a part of what they wrote. But this part of what they wrote is about God's providence. Here's what they said. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest, excuse me, even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. To the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Our nation's early founders, our nation's early immigrants and settlers, many of them understood the providential care of God in their lives. And what God creates that he also sustains. And the universe is not only dependent upon God for its origin, it also depends upon God for its continuous existence. Nothing happens in this world that is beyond the scope of God's care. He makes the rain fall and the sun to shine. He causes nations to rise and nations to fall. He even numbers the very hairs on our head, and some of us here are just a little bit easier to get to know than the rest of you out there with full heads of hair, okay? God even knows the number of days we will live before a single one of them came to be. And perhaps you're here today thinking, well, okay, uh, I get that, but what about fortune? Or what about fate? Or what about luck? Or what about chance? Well, one quick look at the character of God tells us all that we need to know about those four matters. Fortune is blind. Haven't you heard of blind fortune? While God is all-seeing. Fate is impersonal while God is our heavenly Father. Luck is dumb. It's dumb luck while God is all-knowing. And chance, it has no power because it has no being. Well, God is the supreme being who's present everywhere. You know, there are not all these blind, impersonal forces at work in human history. God did not just build this clock of creation here, wind it up, and then just let the clock go, just let it run itself out, unwind itself. No, God is intimately involved in sustaining and caring for this world, even when it looks like it's the exact opposite. You know, I explained in last week's message about the life of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his own brothers, and there he rises to be this caretaker, this manager of Potiphar's house, who was the highest uh, uh, law enforcement officer in Egypt. He was their chief of police, their attorney general, and and. Potiphar's wife took a real interest in Joseph and so she had uh, inappropriate plans for Joseph. And Joseph resisted those and so she, she uh, put the screws to him. She, she let him have it and she falsely accused him of, of sexually inappropriate behavior. He ends up being thrown into prison uh, by Egypt's attorney general basically. And he's languishing there in prison. Now is that luck? Is that fate? Boy, that's That's a bad deal, isn't it? If you're thinking of it that way, uh, Joseph's theme song could be that old jingle from, remember that that old show, Hee Haw Comedy Show? That started in 1969 and went all the way to 1992. Had that primetime slot on Saturday evening, 7 o'clock. It wedded together comedy and country music. And of course, country music is the genre of music that has ballads all about the way life is. Or how life just happens. She broke my heart. Or he got everything in the divorce. Or our dog got run over by the neighbor. Or uh, whatever's going on in life, you picked a fine time to leave me. You know, or work is so hard, you know, you work your fingers to the bone, what do you get? Bony fingers, bony fingers. Well, the hee-haw jingle would would be the, the theme song for Joseph. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Remember that? And then there would be a, oh! Uh, There'd be a cry, you know, uh, gloom, despair, and agony on me, oh, there'd be a beller, you know, and then deep, dark depression, excessive misery, oh, we don't, we got people that have not saw hee-haw before, or what? <laughs> if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Of course, the four people who were doing it were in their bib overalls and, and uh, sitting on, uh, you know, uh, milk cans. But no, God was working behind the scenes through Joseph's life circumstances to save the very nation of Israel. And Joseph figured it all out. And he told his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20 when he revealed himself to them that you intended this for evil. But God intended it for good to bring about the present result, the saving of many lives. By the way, God's provision for uh, people's lives can work through even the most diabolical actions of people. You know, in prayer week, this... uh this uh, month when our staff did each a daily uh, devotional guide. Uh, I did day one in that. And I told a story about Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy. And of course, they had been brought to Ravensbrück, a concentration camp, had been uh, captured by the Nazis uh, because they had been uh, uh, slipping Jewish people in their native Denmark uh, out to safety and and harboring them and and hiding them and working. Uh, That's why their book is called Hiding Place that Corrie ten Boom uh, wrote. But they get stuck in this concentration camp and it's bleak in fact she loses her family there Betsy or Cory Ten Boom's the only one that makes it out but they're placed into barracks with other women and when they're there Betsy and, and Corey are so devastated because it's full of fleas just full of fleas it's like God they've done all the right things they've honored God and then they end up in this barrack with full of fleas but then they realize that none of the guards will come in there because of the fleas. They have an absolute open door to be able to have Bible studies, to pray with these women, to share their faith, to minister to them. They got to the point where they're actually thanking God for the fleas because of the opportunities for ministry that happened there. Well, do you realize that the worst offense ever committed by a human being was the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas? And he did it? with a kiss nonetheless, a symbol of friendship, a symbol in the Old Testament of shalom, of peace, that that very betrayal led to Jesus' arrest. It led to Jesus' trials. It led to Jesus' beatings. It led to Jesus' ridiculing. It led to him being flogged and ultimately crucified. And all of this was no accident. Judas' act of wickedness helped bring about the greatest things to ever occur in human history. Jesus' atoning sacrifice for our sin and his victory over death through the resurrection. It's not some sort of accident that we call the day that Jesus died on, his historic crucifixion. It's not an accident that it's called Good Friday. It's because God brought good. Out of people's evil intentions in the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's also uh, uh, not by chance that we gather exuberantly and, and, and on Easter Sunday to commemorate Jesus who died on the cross. And we do it with enthusiasm. Why? Because he's not dead. He's alive. He's risen. He's indeed risen indeed. Praise God. Do you remember Pentecost, which was 50 days after Passover. Peter, under the power of the Holy Spirit, got up to explain to the crowd. Uh, he preaches to the crowd. That, that's what he does. It's his first sermon that you see preaching uh, in the New Testament times. But he's, he's, everybody's speaking in all these different tongues, 15 different languages. These apostles are speaking in. And they couldn't speak those languages. They're foreign countries that are there represented. And he gets up and tells everybody, these men are not drunk. These people aren't drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's the Holy Spirit that's come upon them, as was prophesied in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And then Peter goes on to say this, beginning in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him this was God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge yes we are creatures with a free will of our own. Yes, we can make things happen. And I gotta tell you, I for one have been a mover and a shaker all my life. My nickname when I was a kid was Sarge. And neighborhood kids called me that. Neighbors called me that. But our power as human beings is always secondary to God's. God's providential work always stands over and above our actions. And amazingly, God works out his will through the actions of human wills Without violating the freedom of human wills. That's how amazing God is. That's how far beyond us He is. He lets us act in our wills and He's accomplishing His purpose in that. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of today's message, the concept of providence is not generally believed in our day uh, or given much thought. But what about you? Do you believe in it? Do you believe that God is not indifferent to His people? and his creation, but that God is actively engaged in providing for each. Colossians 1.17 again reminds us that he's before all things and in him all things hold together. And Hebrews 1 verse three says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things through his powerful word. And last week, we read an amazing text about the providence of God. We weren't talking about the providence of God last week, but it oozes out of this passage. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus spoke these words, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Now think about this when we're talking about the works of God, the providence of God, and what he's saying here. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or drink, eat or drink, or what you will, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Instead of, Jesus says, turning to the world or to wealth, Jesus points us back to God. And yes, we do have a need for food. Yes, we have a tremendous need for water. Yes, we really need clothing, especially on days like this in northern Wisconsin. We need those things, but we have a more basic and greater need than all of that. And it's our need for God. See, our security in life is not found in ourselves. It's not found in our abilities, no matter how good our abilities might be. It's not found in our finances, no matter how well you manage your money. It's not in our control or our circumstances. It's found in the providential care of God. Jesus makes the point, if God so abundantly cares for minute creatures and tiny portions of his creation, How much more will he care for those who he has created in his own image? The very ones who are the pinnacle of God's creation. See, if our security in life comes from God, who's infinite, the supreme being, whose power no one can fathom, and who has unlimited resources, then we no longer need to live our lives in fear. The prophet Isaiah said as much in Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. He said, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flames burn you. See, God does not forget his children. He knows our needs and he's constantly working on our behalf to meet those needs. God's providential care for us and of us should give us a different perspective on life than those who are outside the faith. Instead of being preoccupied with attaining the world's things, we're freed up to pursue the kingdom of God his righteousness, and his will in our lives. And instead of worrying about our future and the security we desire to have in that future, we can trust God that God will take care of us. This new life perspective frees us up to live in the presence, serving God and pursuing his kingdom. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, in response to such teaching as this in the church throughout its history, churches would sing liturgical forms of praise called doxologies. The one we're probably the most familiar with is one some of us probably grew up with and we're actually singing it today in our our traditional service. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, Romans here, chapter 11, that was read for our scripture reading here just a few moments ago, is one of the great doxologies in the Bible. Uh, They would sing it in the early church times. I wish we had the music for it so we could sing it together. But this was a doxology that would celebrate uh, in their worship about the nature of God and the providential care of God. And it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments And his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today for your work, the work of your creation, and God, even for the mind-bending stuff that we talked about in today's message, to realize that you can't get something out of nothing, so that, God, you are self-existent. You are the eternal God who, who is and was and who always will be, and God, thank you that you have created this, you've created us, everything that we see and feel and sit on and everything here all had a beginning, but God, you didn't have a beginning. You are totally uh, an, uh, uh, all self-existent and God all-powerful and all-knowing. It's just, it's absolutely remarkable. And God, in that wisdom and, and your infinite wisdom, you prov- provide for us. You care. And we get to experience your providence each and every day of our lives. Thank you for that, God. And I pray that this will always shape our perspective on life so that it'll be different than than the rest of the world, and that we'll truly seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And God, we know then all things will be added unto us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.